Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Daniel. Howdy, WCC. It's good to see everybody this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Sermon chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we've been going through a sermon series on the parables of Jesus from Luke's gospel, and we're going to continue that today, and we're going to look at the parable of, it's what it's called, the parable of the ten minas, ten minas. And as you're turning to Luke 19, let me just give you a kind of the big idea for the parable. It's this, it's simply that faithfulness to Jesus Christ will bring eternal rewards. I'm going to talk more about that later, but uh, Jesus is going to teach in the parable that he's going away, and then, and this is the thing I want to stress today, Jesus is saying when he's going to return, he's going to have his people come before him, and we're going to give an account before him. And this has really gotten me thinking over this past week. Uh, We're actually going to spend two weeks on it. So Jesus says in this parable and many other places that that he's going to give his people everlasting rewards in proportion to our faithfulness. Okay, so faithfulness brings eternal rewards. That's what I want us to to think about as we go through this parable. All right, let's, let's look at Luke 19. We'll begin in verse 11. Luke 19, starting in verse 11. As they heard these things, he, Jesus, proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, the king said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and in my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more more will be given But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. 
Something you'll notice about Jesus' parables as he gets closer to Jerusalem, as he gets closer to the cross, is the parables become more and more, I don't know, serious and more and more focused on the life to come. At the more of the beginning, it's more about practical things, but as he gets closer to the cross, it gets deadly serious. And that's what Jesus is going to is telling us here today. So let's walk through the parable verse by verse like we normally do. Verse 11, it says, As they heard these things, he proceed, Jesus proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed, and this is the key, they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So Luke gives us sort of this introduction to the parable, and he often does this, and it's actually really helpful. He gives an introductory sentence to the parable. And so what Luke tells us is that Jesus was near Jerusalem. As I said, he was on the way to the cross. He was about to be crucified. And the disciples, Jesus' disciples, thought that when they went to Jerusalem, Jesus was going to bring in a political kingdom at that time. That he was going to bring in a political kingdom immediately, and they were going to kick out Rome, and and the kingdom of Jesus was going to be this political kingdom, and it spread all over the world. And Jesus is saying, no. The kingdom is not going to appear in full immediately. Now, for us, we need to understand the kingdom of God is here. If you have put your faith in Jesus, he is your king, you're a member, you're a citizen in his kingdom. So the kingdom of God is right here. But the kingdom of God is not in full. The kingdom of God has not been fully manifested. The kingdom of God is not everything that it will be one day. One day it will be without sin and disease. There will be no death. There will be no sadness. We'll see Christ face to face. But that's not the way it is right now. So Jesus is telling his disciples in this parable that he's going away. Like the the nobleman in, in here. He's going away. He's going to be ascended to the Father. And while he's away, we're to be faithful to him. That's what's happening in the parable. So verse 12, it says, he said, therefore, he tells them the parable, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Now, this may sound strange to us, but Jesus is actually using a historical example that these people hearing it would have immediately recognized. Because around 4 BC, King Herod the Great was the one who ruled over Judea. Herod was the one that had the baby boys in in Bethlehem killed when when Jesus was a baby. So Herod the Great had ruled over Judea. He was this very powerful ruler. He built the huge temple in Jerusalem that still, you can still see parts of it today, the temple grounds. So Herod was this big ruler. Well, when before immediately before he died. He determined that his son Archelaus was going to be ruling over Judea. But the Roman, Roman Empire's ruler, Caesar Augustus, had to approve this. Okay? So Archelaus left Judea and he went to Rome to, to receive the kingdom, to be crowned by Caesar Augustus, to rule over Judea. So that's what we have in this parable. The nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom. All right, verse 13, it says, calling 10 of his servants, this is before he leaves, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to to them, engage in business until I come. So in the parable, before the nobleman left to go receive his kingdom, he called 10 of his servants together and he says he gave them 10 minas. So he gave them one mina each. A mina was a unit of money and it was equivalent to something like three to four months of wages for a working man. 
So it, it was a large sum, but it wasn't like winning the lottery. Let's say it would be like $10,000. Okay, we'll, we'll go with that. So, it, so he gives each one of them a mina, $10,000. And then he said, engage in business until I come. And what he's saying really is engage in business. And the implication is engage in business for me on my behalf. In other words, be faithful to me in this business while I'm gone. Verse 14, it says, But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. This is exactly what happened with Archelaus. A delegation of 50 men left Judea, and they actually went to Rome, and they told Caesar Augustus, We don't want this dude ruling over us. Archelaus was a bad dude, just like his dad Herod. And this, these group, of, this group of Jews went to, to Rome to say, We don't want this guy ruling over us. And the same thing happens in the parable. So what Jesus is telling us is, telling his disciples, is that he's the king and he's about to go away to receive a kingdom. He's about to ascend into heaven to receive his kingdom. But Jesus is saying after he receives his kingdom, he's saying there'll be lots of people who don't want Jesus to be their king. So, so Jesus is saying, I'm going to my father in heaven to receive my kingdom and while I'm gone, you are to be faithful to me by serving me. But Jesus is saying, even though you'll be surrounded by people who don't want me as king. And isn't that the case for us? We're living in a culture, not everybody in our culture loves, wants Jesus to be their king. But we're to serve him faithfully. We're to remain faithful to him while we wait on Jesus' return. He's ascended and he hasn't come back yet. And that's what's happening in the parable. The, the, king, the nobleman is gone to receive his kingdom, and while he's gone, his disciples are to be faithful to him. So Jesus has really given all of us, his servants, a mina. What are the minas? What do are, what are the minas represent in the parable? I think the minas are everything that God gives us. I think it's our lives, our abilities, and most of all, his grace, the gospel. That's what he has given to us. He's given us his love. So the mina, the money in the parable, is, is represented just everything that God has given us. And the point is, with these minas, with everything that the Lord has given us, we are to serve Him. We are to live for Him. We are to be faithful to Him and live for, for His glory. All right, let's read verses 15 to 19. I'm going to read a big chunk here. 15 to 19. It says, When He returned, when the King returned... Having received the kingdom, and this is a picture of Jesus returning, when he returned having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Okay, so when the king returned, he ordered his servants to be called to him so that they would give an account of what they had been doing, of what they had gained by doing business while the king was away. And then the king gave rewards to each servant in proportion to their faithfulness. So what Jesus is teaching us through the parable is this. One day, 
he's going to return. And he's going to bring his disciples before him. We are going to give an account of our lives before Christ, before his throne. The Bible teaches this in many, many places. This is just one. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But this is 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10. Listen to what Paul says. Remember, Paul is a follower of Jesus, and he's writing to the church at Corinth. These are followers of Jesus. And he says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's a follower of Jesus. He's talking to followers of Jesus. And he's saying, all of us, are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, he's not saying you're going to appear before the judgment seat and then to determine whether you're saved or not. That's not what this is. This is all of God's people will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then he goes on and says, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So all of God's people, when Jesus returns... All of us will stand before his throne to give an account for our lives, just like in the parable. Exactly what's happening in the parable. Now, let me stress something. I'm going to talk about this later. This is not salvation by works, okay? We're saved by grace alone through Christ alone. I want to stress that. But Paul is saying that his disciples, all of us, must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, just like the king, just like the parable. Now, what I've thought about this week is it has been a long time since I've thought about Jesus' eternal rewards, his everlasting rewards that he's going to give his people. And this is one of the great things about going through a book of the Bible sequentially, about we're going through the parables of Jesus in order through Luke. One of the great things about this is you're forced to address topics that the Lord brings up instead of me getting to choose the topic, right? God gets to choose the topic as we go through the verses. And I'm convinced that God, I've really been thinking a lot about this this week, and I want to think more about it next week. But I'm convinced that God wants me and he wants all of us to think more about these eternal rewards. So that's my encouragement to you over the next couple of weeks. Now again, I want to stress that when I talk about rewards, this is not salvation by works. Again, we're saved by grace alone, through Christ alone, through faith alone. Even our faith is a gift from God. Even that's a gift. It's all from him. So this is not salvation by works. Salvation by works is horrible. It's false. But again, what the Bible teaches and what this parable teaches is that when Jesus returns, we're going to have to appear before him to give an account. Again, that's what's happening in the parable. God's people, and this is what we see in the parable too, God's people will receive eternal rewards, heavenly rewards, treasures, crowns, whatever you want to call them. They're different are called different things in the scripture. But we're going to receive these rewards in proportion to our faithfulness. And this is taught over and over and over again in the scriptures. I, I did not remember how much it's been taught until I started going through it this week. But, but I, what I've noticed is the church doesn't teach it, talk about it much. The church doesn't teach about it much today. And especially compared to believers in the past... Believers today, we don't fix our eyes on heaven like our ancestors in the faith did. We don't think as much about rewards. I'm going to talk more about what rewards are next week. But we don't think much about the rewards that Christ is going to give us in the resurrection. And I think that's hurting us. I honestly think that leads to a lack of holiness and a lack of love and a lack of devotion, not thinking about these rewards. 
Now, one of the things I want to stress is when we talk about believers standing before the judgment of Christ to give an account, we may think, I know I did when I initially started thinking about this, we may think that when we're standing before God and giving an account for our lives, we may think that we're going to experience sadness or embarrassment and shame, right? That's what I immediately think because I think about all my sin in my life and my wasted life. But I don't think that's going to happen. If it does happen, I think it'll be very brief. But what I do, because we do know in the resurrection life to come, there's not going to be any more tears. The Bible says that. There's not going to be any sadness. There's not going to be any shame. There's not going to be any feelings of guilt or worthlessness or envy or pride or sadness or depression or anxiety. It's none of those things. There's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So it's going to be all joy and all love in God's presence. So when we give an account before the Lord, I I don't know how it all works out. The Bible doesn't give us details. But there's no indication that we're going to feel ashamed or guilty. Because, again, there's no condemnation for us. We'll be given eternal rewards based on our faithfulness. But there's no tears or sadness in the resurrection life to come. And again, there are no sins such as pride or envy. But the fact remains, we are going to receive rewards in proportion to our faithfulness here on earth. And that's not works righteousness at all. It's simply what the Bible teaches in many, many places. Let me give you just a couple of examples. This is Matthew 16, verse 27. Jesus is speaking. Listen to what Jesus says here. Matthew 16, 27. He says, For the Son of Man is going to come, just like in the the parable with the king, the Son of Man is going to come with his angels In the glory of his father, okay, he's going to return. And it says, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Rewards in proportion to faithfulness. This is Revelation 20, verses 12 and 13. Listen to this. It says, and I saw the dead, great and small, here it is, standing before the throne, standing before the king. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. According to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. So we'll give an account, and then we will receive rewards in proportion to to our faithfulness. And as I said, I'm going to talk more about this next week, about what the rewards are. I'll give you a key, a hint. A lot of it is joy and love in Christ. It's not driving a Ferrari, okay? The rewards are going to be, um, I think, a greater capacity to love and a greater capacity for joy where he gets the glory. Like there's a passage in Revelation, I think it's Revelation 4, where the elders take their crowns, treasures, And they cast the crowns before the throne. So it all goes back to the Lord. So I don't think it's like more money or a bigger fancier house or anything like that. I think it's a greater capacity for love and joy. Okay? But we'll talk more about that next week. All right? So so we'll give an account and and we're going to receive rewards in proportion to our faithfulness. So let's get back to the parable. Remember verse 15, the king calls his servants to give an account. Then verses 16 and 17... It says, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. So 
He says, basically, your $10,000 now has made $100,000, so it's $110,000. Notice this, though. He doesn't take credit for it. And when I first started writing this part of the sermon, I wrote, I said, he made... His, he made one mina and he made it into ten minas. But that's not what it says. Look what it says. He, sa- he doesn't say, look what I've made. He says, look, your mina has made. It, you, you gave the growth. Even you did it. Even when you weren't here, your mina has made ten minas more. And then the king says, you're to be over ten cities. In the second, verse 18 and 19, the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Okay? So, now we may say, so one, so the, the reward is in proportion to the faithfulness. Now we may say this, and I, I confess I say this too. I don't want to rule over ten cities. It sounds like a nightmare to me. It sounds really horrible. But what Jesus is saying is that there is going to be increasing responsibility and authority along with, as I'm going to talk more about next week, more joy more responsibility and authority in the resurrection life to come in on the new earth. We may say, I don't want responsibility like that. It sounds like a hassle. But in this resurrection life, there's not going to be any sin. Everyone will love the Lord perfectly. And we're going to love each other perfectly. And we're going to be working for King Jesus. So we'll be working. But in the new earth, this responsibility and authority will be exhilarating. It'll be fun It'll be joyful. It'll be filled with love. Also, this is so wonderful. Notice this. He says, the king says, you've been faithful in a very little. Very little. I think Jesus is saying this. Even when we do little things in this life that result from faith, he notices them. He notices the little things we do out of faith, out of trust in him. He takes note. Jesus says in another place, if you give someone even a cup of cold water in my name, he says, that's a huge thing. He notices that. You're going to receive an eternal reward for that. So Jesus is saying that even the little things that we do, based on our faith in him, he sees these things. They don't go unnoticed. Remember, Jesus talks about when you pray, don't go being like a a showboat like the Pharisees. Or when you fast, don't show off to show everybody what you're doing. Instead, when you pray, you go into your closet and pray. But he says, your Father in heaven sees what goes on in there. He sees what happens in secret. He sees when you do little things to care for other people because you want to bring honor to him. He sees a little encouragement that you give to other people. He knows when you pray for other people. He sees that, and it's important to Jesus. He takes note. And that's super encouraging to me. Also notice this in verse 17. I'm going to talk more about this. But in verse 17, the king says, Because you have been faithful. Because you have been faithful. King Jesus cares about faithfulness, not success. The king doesn't say, Because you have been successful. He doesn't say that. He says, because you've been faithful. And I think the ten minas that he's made is not, a, it's not success in the eyes of the world. I think what it is, it's value in God's sight. I think it's the value that he sees and what he cares about is faithfulness, not success. He cares about faithfulness, not results. I think that's what this is teaching. All right, verses 20 to 26, and we're about to wrap up the parable part. Then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I've kept laid away in a handkerchief. This guy did nothing with it. He said, for I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. 
You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And the king said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone, to, to everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I'm not going to get into a lot of details on this, but one question I had was, is this guy a true follower of the king? Is he a true disciple? Because he was given a mina, and it looks like he's a servant. My own view, though, is he's not a true follower of the king. He's not a true follower of Christ. I think it's somebody who looks like one. He's received the mina, say, in the the form of of the gospel. He's received some gifts from God, but he's not a true servant. He's not a genuine follower of the Lord. And the reason I think that is because I can't imagine a true disciple of Jesus Christ who knows his love and grace and his tenderness and his kindness. I can't imagine a true disciple saying to Jesus, you're a severe man. You're a tough man. I can't imagine a follower of Jesus saying that. Also, I can't imagine Jesus to saying to one of his true disciples, you wicked servant. I can't imagine Jesus saying that. So I don't think this guy is a true follower of Jesus. I think he's received some blessing, some aspect of the kingdom. He's received the gospel, but he's not a true follower. And this idea of taking from him the mina and giving the one who has more, I think Jesus is saying the servant with the ten minas has shown that he's been faithful with a little, and now he's been faithful, and now he's going to be faithful with more responsibility. He's going to receive a lot more joy, as we'll talk about next week. Verse 27, this is the last verse, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. These are the enemies of the king who are in outright rebellion against him. These are the ones at the beginning who said, we do not want the king to reign over us. So in the parable, this is applying to people who say, we don't want Jesus to reign over us. We don't want King Jesus. We reject him. That's who these people are. And Jesus says, bring them here and slaughter them, or the king says, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So what we see, as we see in many of Jesus' parables, is a severe message. It's a tough message, but it's this, judgment is coming. And that's how the parable ends. We're not told, I don't know if you notice this, we're not told what happens. It doesn't say the guys were actually slaughtered. And that's often the way Jesus ends a parable. It's just the curtain comes down and you don't know what happens next. And I think he does that because he wants to put us into the story. How are we going to respond to this? I think that's why he's doing that. But again, we need to be reminded that Jesus really is returning one day to bring his kingdom in full. It's it's a fact. That is going to happen. And if we're in rebellion against him, then the sad part is, and I've literally wept during sermons talking about this, judgment is coming on people who reject the Lord. And that judgment is certain. And I'll talk more about that actually in the next parable because that's what the the final parable in Luke is about. It's about judgment when Christ returns. But now I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about this idea of heavenly rewards. I've touched on it some, but this idea of eternal rewards is what the church has believed for thousands of years. And they believed it because there are so many scriptures that talk about it. 
And so I want you to just to briefly see this idea of rewards in the scriptures. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is an important passage, and I, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody even talk about it in a service. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 11. Verse Corinthians 3, verse 11. And think about what the apostle is saying here. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop there. The foundation is Jesus Christ. We're to build our lives upon the rock, right? He is the foundation. He's the truth. His atoning death. His resurrection, His teaching, our lives are to be built on the foundation. Our ministry is to be built upon the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, now if, Paul says, now if anyone builds on the foundation, on Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. That means revealed, you'll see what it is. You'll see the tr- what, what it truly is. Each one's work will become manifest for the day, the day is the judgment day when Jesus returns, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. Okay, the fire in this sense is, it's, it's metaphorical, it's figurative language, but fire is the sense of, of God's, of Christ's judgment where he sort of burns off all the chaff, he burns off all the the the, the, the covering to reveal what these works that we do truly are. So the judgment is going to reveal what our lives really are and the things we've done, what really has happened. So the work we engaged in will be exposed, okay? So he says, uh, verse 13, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Verse 14, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation, on Christ, survives, if that work survives the fire, if it survives the judgment to be revealed if it's really true, if it survives, he, the the believer, the disciple, will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, means if you do something that, I'll talk about it in a second, but if you do something that's burned up through the revealing, it's shown not to have eternal significance, he will suffer loss. The, the believer will suffer loss of rewards. Look what, he, what Paul says, though. He says, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. He said, this is not the judgment of, of going to heaven or hell. These are believers bringing the works before God, and he's going to test them. So again, the fire is God's judgment revealing what sort of work we've done. If the, the, some of the stuff we do counts for eternity, right? Some of the stuff we do counts for forever, if it's built on Christ, if it's out of a motivation to please him, it counts for eternity. We get eternal rewards based on this. And that is, in the, in, the, in the metaphor here, gold, silver, precious stones. What happens when gold, when fire comes on gold? It actually purifies it. It doesn't burn it up. The, the gold doesn't disappear. The impurities are burned off. Gold, silver, precious stones, these are things that we've done out of faith in Christ and we will be rewarded for these things in proportion to, to our, our faith and our, our, our uh, works for him. 
so, but what about the, the wood, hay, straw, or I think the King James says wood, hay, and stubble. This is stuff like my motivation is self. It's not to please Christ. It's work that I've done for, for self-centeredness. It doesn't have eternal rewards. It's like wool, wood, hay, and straw. When, when God's revealing fire comes upon it, it just disappears. It's gone. So you can do things that may even look like they're really great for the kingdom, but if the motivation is self, then it's going to be burned up. It has no eternal rewards. I think that's what Paul is saying here, okay? So, it, so Paul's saying if any of our life's work survives God, God's revealing fire and is shown to count for eternity, then we will receive a reward in proportion to that. So just a, a practical question for us is I need to ask myself, Am I building on the foundation of Christ and is my life producing results that matter for eternity? If so, these works are valuable and again, we'll receive a reward. And it don't have to be huge. Like Jesus says, it can be giving a cup of cold water to somebody. But if it's out of a desire to please the Lord, then that counts for eternity. That's gold, uh, silver, and precious stones. Okay? But the other stuff is going to be burned up. It's going to be gone. I want to stress this again. Our eternal rewards will be in proportion to our faithfulness, not our success. And I hope that this motivates you to be faithful to the Lord and just leave the results to Him. This is so freeing for me. In, in ministry, oftentimes there can be a desire for success, to do great things, or in your own work, or in your, in your family, to be a super dad or a super mom, or, or a, you know, have an awesome business or whatever. In, in the world, we care about results, but what God looks at is faithfulness. What Christ looks at is faithfulness. So at my better moments, what I should care about is just being faithful to Him and then leaving the results to Him and resting in that. It can be so, so freeing. But I've said it before, Jesus is not going to say to us, and I mentioned this last night at small group, Jesus is not going to say to us, well done, good and successful servant. That's not what he says. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what we see in this parable. The king doesn't say because you've been successful. He says, because you've been faithful. We tend to focus on success and results. You know, how's my portfolio doing? How's it, you know, what are your sales goals? All these things. Rather than faithfulness, but God cares about faithful. So I'm going to give you an example as I'm about to wrap up here. I want you to think about this stuff mattering for eternity. Let's say you have a business guy who's a Christian. He loves the Lord. He's very successful in his work. In the world's eyes, he is a huge success. But he does almost nothing for the kingdom. He does almost nothing for others. His focus is on his money, his work, his next vacation, his him and his family, even unbelievers care about their family, right? So, so you can be worldly and still care about your family. This guy loves the Lord, but there's not a lot of sacrifice for Christ. Not a lot of reaching out to care for others. Not a lot of concern about growing in love and holiness. He's a Christian. Again, he may be successful in the eyes of the world, but there aren't a lot of eternal rewards waiting for him. And again, I think this is... I'll talk more about it, but, but capacity for joy in the Lord. There's just not a lot of eternal rewards. Or this, and this one may surprise you, but I've seen it. Let's say you've got a pastor, pastor in ministry, who's very successful in the eyes of the world. He's charismatic, he's dynamic, his church grows tremendously, he's a pastor of a mega church, right? He's, he's writing books and going to conferences, he's a celebrity pastor, so he's a superstar. And we assume that his eternal rewards are going to be huge. 
but God knows his heart. Now, let's say this celebrity pastor is a true Christian. He loves the Lord. But in his heart, a big part of his motivation is self-exaltation. And there's not a lot of faithfulness to the Lord. A lot of his motivation is because he wants to be famous. He wants to have a huge church. He wants people to admire him. But the fact is, God sees the heart and his eternal rewards are not going to be much. Okay, let's compare that now to, let's say, a faithful missionary or a faithful single mom or a faithful sales guy or a faithful widow. And each, each of these people live ordinary lives. Nobody pays much attention to them. In the eyes of the world, these folks are nothing special. They're not hugely successful in the world's eyes. But in God's eyes, they're faithful. They're faithful. The missionary may not be successful. I've known a lot of missionaries who in, in the eyes of the world are not successful, but he's faithful. That single mom or stay-at-home mom or whoever, the sales guy, widow, they're not celebrities. How about this? Brother Jim said this last night in small group, and I think you may have heard it from Randy Alcorn. Let's say you've got a young man with Down syndrome. He's not much in the eyes of the Lord, but, but in the world, but he loves the Lord Jesus and he's faithful. So he and the missionary and the widow and the mom, the sales guy, they're serving the Lord where God has planted them. They're living lives in devotion to Jesus Christ. They're encouragers. They pray for others. They're growing in holiness. They're growing in their love for the Lord and for other people. And God is going to say to them, I've given you this mina and you've been faithful. In my sight, you hit this mina has turned into ten minas. So you're going to receive this huge eternal reward in the resurrection life. And that successful business guy who's focused on himself or in his money or the celebrity pastor, God saw their hearts and, and they were largely motivated by selfish desires and their rewards aren't going to be much. Okay? So I, my prayer is that, that when, when you think about like, like all the, the, the people that are faithful, and I want this for us, that we may look like nobodies in the eyes of the world, but if we are faithful, that is what counts because King Jesus sees it. He notices. He cares. And he says, these people are not much in the world's eyes, but they've been faithful to me, and they're going to be rewarded in the life to come. I think that's what Jesus is teaching. And next week, as I said, we're going to talk more about what exactly are the rewards, what are the treasures, crowns, but right, right now, my prayer is that this week, really, you will think about these eternal rewards and they'll motivate you to be more faithful to King Jesus. So, so let the truth of these eternal rewards encourage you to grow in your love for others, to, to, to realize that even little things you do count for eternity. Right now, what is it? Ligonier has a little phrase. I may have got it in some place that says, right now counts forever. Little things you do count forever. And so my encouragement is that these things will encourage you and motivate you to grow in your love for the Lord, love for other people, grow in holiness, and grow in devotion to Christ. Remember, Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And I pray that we would be serious about that. All right, we'll talk more about that next week. So be thinking about that this week. All right, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. Um, Jesus, thank you for the parables. Thank you that you, there's so much depth in these. And I pray that you would take these words and really drive them in our hearts, that we would be people who were faithful even in little things. And we would realize that 
that it, it, even if we do things that, that may seem like nobody notices, nobody cares, you notice, Lord, and you care, and you're going to reward us based on the proportion of our faithfulness to you. And, and not so that we would get puffed up, and not so that we would think well of ourselves, but that it would all return back to you, to your praise and glory. Lord, you are awesome and we love you. Thank you for the fact that, Jesus, you are going to return. You're going to make all things right. Help us to be found faithful when you do return. We love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.